we're at the point where we're still uh, practicing as children of God how to behave ourselves, conduct ourselves, and we saw that in relation to ourselves, to the Lord's church, to society. Last week, to government, we saw the submission we're be in, uh, as government and those who the Lord has placed over us as an authority. And now, in chapter 14, we're going to deal with how to conduct ourselves in relation to other believers. Chapter 14 of Romans. I do not know if we'll get through the entire chapter this morning. Um, I may just get to verse 6. But there's just a thought there that he brings out and that we'll want to deal with this morning. All right. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not, or let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth thanks, he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not. To the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, and forgiving us of our sins, and growing us in our faith, and day to day, drawing us closer to you, through all the events that you've placed in our lives. Father, may we grow in the word this morning and, and later the day. May this day just be filled with praise and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the members of the church here at Rome were united in their faith in Jesus Christ, but Paul had recognized that there was a division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. The two groups of Christians were kind of arguing with each other. They were kind of disputing with one another. One was passing judgment on the other. And Paul told them right here to stop quarreling over disputable matters. Stop quarreling over these matters. Now we want to define some terms in chapter 14. He says, him that is weak in the faith. Notice that word the. I don't know if you mark in your Bibles, but that may be a good word to underline because he's talking about the subject of faith. He's not talking about the activity of faith. He's not saying those who are weak in faith, those who just are, they live their life in unbelief. No, he's talking about those who are weak in the faith as far as the subject goes, the gospel, the ministry of Christ, uh, the word of God. Uh, the whole system of Christianity. So those who are stronger in the faith have less restrictions of conscience. 
there's less restrictions. Now think about the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in the same church. You had some who believed uh, that they did not have to be circumcised or come under the Mosaic law or, or observe the feast or observe Sabbath. They did not feel compelled to become a Jew. They had never been a Jew anyway. So why would they be compelled to become a Jew and put on this outward religion? Why would they go into customs? Why would they go into traditions? So they had a liberty in Christ, and those who have less restriction on conscience are called the stronger. Those who have more restrictions on conscience are called the weaker in the faith. And that's who he's referring to, that him that is weak in the faith, but not to receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So the one who is weaker in the faith has more restrictions of their conscience. All right. So chapter 14, though, it is very applicable today. This isn't just a subject that we see that happened in the church way back then. We don't have a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in our church. So how is this chapter 14 applicable to, to us today? Well, the principle still applies to us, that there are going to be differences. And there's going to be disputable differences, and I'll talk about what that means here in a minute. They're almost matters of opinion, not doctrine. And so there's going to be matters of opinion within the church, and Paul is saying, do not be divided. You all are united in your faith in Christ. Don't be divided on these squabble areas. So his admonition, so I mean, this study is really needful. And they're here. Uh, this study is really needful in the Lord's churches today. How much division, how much fighting, how much backbiting do we have in the Lord's churches? Have you ever been a member of one of the Lord's churches where there was strife, where there was contention? It is, it's not, I mean, you shouldn't have those things on your mind when you step foot outside your house and come to church. What you should have on your mind is worshiping and praising the Lamb of God and Him alone, not what kind of drama there's going to be in the church. And so uh, this study is severely needed, and um, of course the Lord gives it to us because He knows we need it. But those who are weak in the faith are forever judging the motives of their stronger brethren for exercising their liberty, and both are admonished in this section of scripture. So Paul addresses both. He addresses both those who had liberty, who were despising those who felt less liberty, and then he is admonishing those who had felt like they had less liberty not to condemn and judge the people who felt they had more liberty. So the admonitions to both. Paul is not writing to the weaker saying be stronger. He's not. He's saying, let's both of you have a mutual admonition of love. Love, the most important thing, forbearing one another in love. If they are not matters of sin or just matters of uh, opinion. So a stronger brother, the one who has more liberty, is to show consideration while a weak brother is not to think the strong brother is self-indulgent or careless, exercising their liberty. 
Now, again, the admonition is that the spirit of Christian love is to be shown by mutual forbearance in things indifferent. So, first of all, verse 1, he starts off with a message to the strong. So, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So, this very first uh, verse, what are these doubtful disputations? Now, disputable, it's what it means is disputable matters. The disputable matters can be summed up as non-essential issues in the Christian life, or gray areas in which the Bible does not spell out clear guidelines. That is disputations. They are disputable matters where the Bible does not spell out clear guidelines. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, the charge to the stronger is to receive those who are the weaker, the ones who have more restrictions imposed upon themselves, because of their conscience in Romans chapter 14, but receive them, but not to doubtful disputation. Don't receive them just to criticize them. Don't receive your brother just to try and fix them with your liberty, because you're trying to impose something on someone that God has not given them a conscience towards yet. So uh, that is really the, 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 the thrust of it, where we are to receive him, as he is. We're to receive our brother as he is. And um, again, this has to do, chapter 14, he specifically limits it to diet, dietary laws, and holy days. But we see the principle uh, kind of grow in today's Lord's churches. Now, you have to admit, there's a difference between the Lord's church in Jerusalem versus the Lord's church in Kentucky. We're going to see different things. As the closer you get to Jerusalem, you may see more who are trying to adhere to the law. We're in Hebrews on Wednesday. And that's why Hebrews was written. And we also understand in Acts the, that the New Testament, or the teaching of the New Testament, was relatively new. It was, it was new. I mean, the temple was still standing at this point, but God had moved his glory to the church, not to the temple. Salvation was in Christ. Christ fulfilled all things. So the message that the apostles were preaching, the early church were preaching, it was revolutionary back then. I mean, it was so, yes, I mean, logic dictates that you're going to have a whole lot more people adhering to the old system and trying to figure out how to transition from that old system to the new. It made sense back then that you see this message over and over and over come out of that old system uh, because Christ has fulfilled those things, that man is not justified by the works of the law. And uh, the law was, was there to show us our failures. So that message kept coming through and coming through. And like I said Wednesday, we understand why people were more prone to go back into Judaism and especially with the pressure of persecution. Um, so they, were, they wanted the, the Jesus to be Messiah and Christ, but they didn't want to be persecuted. And so we see them kind of lean back towards the law and Judaism. We can kind of understand why they did it back then, but it's sad that people are doing it today. We are so far from 
the Jesus, from the advent of Jesus, coming and dwelling amongst men and ushering in the new covenant and the new sanctuary, he is the ultimate of all those things, that it makes you wonder why people today are doing it. Uh, we understand the closer you get to Jerusalem, the temptation of them to do it. But why in Kentucky is a Kentucky boy wanting to go back into the law? Why are they wanting to, to observe Sabbath? Why are they wanting to observe feasts? Why are they wanting to, to, to you know, do all these things? And that's just, it seems outrageous to us. But that is what we have here in this time, especially the thrust of this when you had a mixed crowd in the church of both the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Now, I like what is written here. In what way were these Christians weak? Him that is weak in the faith. What does that mean? Those who are weak in the faith are Christians who have not laid hold by faith upon those wonderful things that have been unfolded throughout the book of Romans. They are the men who have not yet been able to apprehend and grasp full and free salvation as is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not grasped their complete liberty in Christ. They have a conscience to still adhere to legalism, ceremonialism, and all other isms, not realizing they are free. But who are the strong? Those who have realized the liberty in Christ and have given and are done with the rules of legalism and ceremonialism. It's not the, the rigid rules anymore of do's and don'ts, that they see that their liberty is in Christ. But in our text, the weaker brethren were probably the Jewish Christians, and they would have hang-ups on diet and diet restriction and holy days. But the strong should consider the culture. Um, those who have liberty are to consider and take into consideration why they're hung up on those things. It's a very cultural thing. Now, think about this. If you were to move to Ecuador or Iran, you can be married at 14 years old. 14 years old. Now, that seems to us like, well, that's, that's improper. But to them, it's not improper. That's the, the minimum age to be married. If you move to China, you cannot be married as a man until you're 22. And as a female at 20. That's something in it. They kind of flipped it. They, they, they made the male be older than the female. So if you go there, would you be offended? Uh, if, if you go to Iran, would you be offended that 14-year-old girls are being married? And so that is the thrust of what he's talking about. Consider those who are weaker in the faith. Consider the restrictions they're putting on themselves as it could be cultural, it could be something in their past, historical, uh, and not to despise them, those who are stronger. And then he admonishes, again, he swings back to those who are the ones who are restricted to not judge and condemn those. Do not just automatically assume the brother that has liberty in Christ is being self-indulgent, is... is trampling under their foot the blood of Christ because they have more liberty to do what they do. And again, this is over the disputable subjects, the gray area. 
not something that's been revealed in the Word of God. So, uh, the first area of difference is discussed in, in verses 2 through 4. It's the diet. He says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him with that eateth, for God hath received him. So in these verses, we see the first area. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he goes more into the dietary the liberty which we have. Um, and like I said, we probably won't get very far, but let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. It's not that far away, just one book over. One book to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, Now as touching things offered into idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Or that we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. Now, before I keep going, and I will, what is our knowledge? Our knowledge is, is there's one God. And even if other people worship things as an idol, are we intimidated by that idol? I'm not intimidated by that idol. Are you? Because I know there's one God. That's my knowledge. I'm not intimidated. I'm not scared of idols. I just go kick an idol over. Whoa, what's going to happen to me? No, there's one God. And that's what he's saying. Now, we know there's one God. These idols are nothing. We're getting all worked up over something that's nothing. Now, we're not... Okay, verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods, many, and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol, and to this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Somebody who may have came in out of the system of idolatry has more of a burden conscious of what that used to represent to them. There used to be ceremonies to that false idol, to that idol. There, there were meats offered to that idol. Their life was involved around that idol. And so the things that were in their life, and you, you know, you've, you've seen this, you've heard of this, people who are saved throw away, you know, they do a house cleaning, don't they? They get rid of everything that pertained to that old life. 
anything that reminds them, anything that bears their conscience of who they used to be and who Christ had saved them from, that's your knowledge. But that's not everybody's knowledge. And that's what he's saying, knowledge differs. And so he says that in verse 7, even though you may have the knowledge that that idol doesn't intimidate you, it doesn't bother you, and uh, you go home and you put up a Christmas tree and you're fine putting up a Christmas tree because that's not an idol to you. You just, I mean, you're just going to chuck it out the door and you can do whatever you want to do. That is not the same knowledge other people may have. Just because you have that knowledge doesn't mean that other people aren't offended by that knowledge. So we need to come to that understanding. The admonishment isn't about become weaker or become stronger. It's about being forbearing. Being love in love, forbearing one another. Um, verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That's the ultimate attitude right there of the believer, the one who loves one another. I don't want to do anything that's going to cause you to struggle in your faith or cause you to slip back into old things that you identified with sin, but today I don't. Just because I, just because I don't identify certain things with sin doesn't mean somebody else does not. And if they see me exercising my liberty uh, and they say, well, it must be okay, and they start exercising their liberty, they exercise that liberty, but they're going against their conscience. They're associating what they're doing as disobedience. Then you've caused your brother to stumble by your liberty. What should I do? Should, should I be offended that they don't get it? Should I be offended that they're the weaker? That's not what he, that the admonishment is, is don't do it. Don't cause your brother to stumble. Be pitiful, be merciful, be compassionate and understanding those things. So as, yes, the ultimate goal is to have all liberty. That's the goal for everybody. That's the goal of Hebrews. That's the goal of Corinthians. But that, you know, the Lord needs to teach people that. I can't bash my liberty over your head trying to get you to learn what liberty is. The Lord teaches you the liberty. And so, uh, because at the end of the day, your liberty, what you're doing is your faith towards God. You're doing everything to the glory of God. That's the ultimate bottom line. Those who are weak in the faith versus those who are strong in the faith is it towards God. Those who are strong in the faith or those who have liberty is what you're doing towards glorifying the Lord. I'm not doing it just so I can do it. There, has to be, there needs to be a reason why I'm doing it. I'm doing it so the Lord will be glorified in my life. So 
Um, we continue on in Romans chapter 14. I know that I'm, I'm talking in general right now. And right here, he is specifically talking about those who have an issue eating meats. Uh, they have an issue so much so that they become vegan. Now, we're not told why these brethren are vegan or vegetarian in verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Why would somebody who is weak in the faith just eat herbs? We're not told why they're vegetarian. Now, we do know from history that the three sects of the Judaism was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. I don't know if you all ever heard of the Essenes. The Essenes were, was a third group, and they were vegetarian. They, they did not believe in eating any meats. Now, the Essenes, they died out after the Jewish revolt in 66 AD. They had some pretty strange, if you want to uh, look up and research the Essenes, they had some pretty strange rules uh, about things. They, um, but anyway, one of them was is, uh, they did not eat meat. Actually, there's churches today who are called vegan churches. You can look these guys up. Uh, there are, their tagline, I looked up one of them, and their tagline is this. Stop eating meat, live a proper life, and God will find you. They do err not knowing the scriptures. There they. If you don't use the scriptures as your guide of faith and practice, you can just come up with about anything you want. Keep your hedge trim, and God will find you. Keep your grass mowed, and God will find you. I mean, I can just bring, make, make up anything I want. It is not a sin to eat meat or not eat meat. However, it is a weak Christian who feels it is a sin to eat meat. Y'all get that? It's a Christian who is weaker in the faith, who feels like it is a sin to eat meat. Now, why would these people... Now, think about this. You're in this culture. You're in Rome. You're in a Greek, uh, uh, Greco-Greek, or whatever it's called, Roman culture, where you have idolatry that's just rampant. And who knows? You're at the marketplace, and you're one to buy meat. Who knows if it's been offered to idols? Just so... This could be the mentality and speculation. Just so they don't eat meat that could have been offered to an idol... They just decided not to eat meat at all. And that's the mentality, isn't it? And that's the mentality we see today. Um, that is a mentality if, you have, if, if you're going to stay consistent with. If I don't know where that meat came from, how do I know if it was offered to idols so I can't eat it? What if you were to do that? What, what if you were to impose that on yourself? Uh, today, uh, if you go to Sam's or Costco and you buy uh, certain groceries, you don't know where that origin of that grocery was. You don't know if, if it came from atheist institution or idolaters or this institution. It could have been Islam blessed. Who knows? So just to avoid doing that, I'm going to avoid eating or buying any groceries at all. That's kind of the mentality that we have here. And so that way, when you see kosher eating, they've tried to figure out a way around that. So kosher is very interesting. You start uh, researching kosher. 
Like they can't eat meat and dairy at the same time. They have to separate. Uh, even days, you can't eat meat and dairy on the same day. You have to do different days. The animal has to be slain in a certain strict way. And uh, the meat has to be blessed. And then there are certain meats that they don't eat. Uh, but, so they have to supervise the entire process. So that's how they get around being able to eat meat. But they still eat meat. And so uh, these in verse 2, they said they just eat herbs. And that's fine. If somebody came in and was a vegetarian and had a conscience that, you know what, I just believe that the Lord would rather me eat herbs and, and everything of that nature. And if it doesn't violate the word of God and it's a disputable matter, he, you that don't, if you don't have an issue eating meat, we're to receive our brothers, but not just to criticize them, but to love them. And that's what verse 1 that's what he's commending to the church. You had a church that was disputing over, they're squabbling over little things. So he's not saying you're, you are right and you are wrong. He's saying both of you are wrong. Both of you need to receive each other. So, uh, verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One, day, one man esteemeth one day. So uh, we've gone from the dietary to the holy days in verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. The, for none of us, uh, verse 7 is next week. But verse 6, he gets down to the brass tacks. He gets down to the acid test. What's your motive? And one of the things that you and I cannot do is judge each other's motives. We're not given the authority to judge each other's motives. Uh, if he's doing it unto the Lord, he's doing it unto the Lord. Unto God he stands or falls. If God has received my brother, so should I. That is the, the last thing. If God has received my brother, so should I. Now, I had a few more things to, to bring out. But I know I had... Uh, giving y'all a handout, so I want to go over that real quick. Um, now, we may go over a little bit more of what we talked about, especially in reference to Holy Days, and we may even go to Galatians, um, but I feel like we're still kind of doing an overview of this weaker and stronger brethren. Because so many people have this wrong, and but we see that this this application needs to be understood and understood in our churches, especially. So here's an example of a strong and weaker brother. Now, um, one of the things that again we need to understand is it's not the weaker brother is not weak in faith. 
He just has a more restricted conscience in the faith, as the subject of the faith, the faith once delivered unto the saints. Okay, it's not saying he's right, it's not saying he's wrong. It's just saying he has more restriction on things uh, of the gray matter. So, but let's think about this. Let's put this in perspective. Uh, let's flow chart this. Here's a lost man at the top, and I know uh, it's very hard to tell that that's a man, but that's a, a man <laughs> at the top. Uh, this man associates beat music with sex, drugs, and alcohol. I mean, it's Leonard Skinner, it's uh, whatever, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and all that. So anything that has a beat. Well, one day God saves him. Now he's a saved man. So he decides to turn his back on that old life. So what he does is he does not listen to Christian beat music because it reminds him of the past worldliness of which he had, those things which he forsook in the past. Now, not just Christian beat music, but other things. You can apply this principle to all kinds of things right here. Now, the right attitude, the admonishment is, do not judge my, and what needs to be there, is my stronger in the liberty brother here. Do not judge my stronger brother because God has received him. It's not sinful in of itself. And just because I can't do it because of conscious sake, that doesn't mean he cannot. The difference, again, is motive. Where's the motive? Are you doing it unto the Lord? Are you listening to Christian beat music unto the Lord? Is your conscience clear? Can you worship with a clear heart, true and a clear mind, unto the Lord, not violating Scripture, because you've never associated what you're listening to with sin? And that's what the saved man, let's see, uh, well, the saved man, uh, maybe more of a, a person who was raised in a Christian home. Let's, let's say that. And then one day they're saved. In the past, they had never had associated, had never had a passive rebellion and associating music to their rebellion. So they feel at liberty to listen to the beat music because he can in clear conscience and is not biblically revealed to be sin. The right attitude towards the other brother, this is somebody who has been at more liberty, receive my brother, because God has received him, hold him in honor, even though I can do this in clear conscience, and he cannot. Actually, if I can help it, avoid rubbing liberty in their face and remove the reasons to offend them. And you're going to see this principle. I know that this is very crude and it seems elementary by its design and drawing, but that is where it comes, what it comes down to. And especially understanding the true context of what was happening back then between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, how they were still wanting to adopt the things of the law, how in Acts, remember, the Jews were wanting to impose legalism on the Gentiles. And that happens. It happens in Galatians. Now, the difference between here and Galatians where Paul says, I'm afraid of you who observe holy days and all these things and these things. In Galatians, he is speaking to those who want to um, complete what the Spirit has began to do. They want to complete it with what the flesh can do, the law. They're, they're wanting to mingle in 
works with grace. Mingling works with salvation. In Romans, there's a dispute over these things, and here it is talking more about those who believe in sanctification, those who believe that Christianity is, is stronger if you restrict yourself here, or Christianity is stronger uh, having the liberty to do this. And then those two mindsets collide. And that's what he says. So what happens? I mean, you have a lot of people today who have what's called spiritual pride. They look down on those who are at less at liberty to do things. And you're not understanding who they were before the Lord saved them and why they can't let some associations go in their past. And so I love you, and if my love is sincere, I don't want to put anything in your path. I'm thinking of you more than me. I'm, I'm thinking of what's, gonna, what's going to strengthen your faith, what's going to cause you not to sin, more than me having the freedom to exercise my liberty. So now I have a heart of compassion, a heart of love, and you know what? I'm going to not do that in front of my brother, even though I know I can. But I'm not going to do that because it may cause them to stumble and it may cause them to go into struggle. Um, that's the goal. My, my goal is not to do something so you don't be mad at me. That's not my goal. My goal is not do something in front of you that would cause you to slip back into those old things, thinking that you can do those things. I know. Uh, it kind of, hopefully that, that's not complicated. Ho uh, hopefully I didn't complicate it more. We'll go over this a little bit more next week, but you can see the, relevant, the relevance in today's, the principle is relevant. Now, this does not hold up if there's sin. Okay, I mean, um, if I bear false witness on you, that's sin. I, I don't have liberty to do that. Uh, we don't have a license to sin just because we're under grace. Read Jude. Whew. Jude condemns those who abuse grace in a big way. And he'll, he'll, he steps on all over grace abusers' feet. And he says these people have just manifested themselves that they're not of God at all. Grace doesn't teach us to sin all we want. Grace does not teach us to do that. You do not have liberty to sin. You don't have license to sin. But at the end of the day, are we doing what we're doing, clear of conscience and towards the Lord? And the Bible has revealed uh, that it's not impermissible. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of study in the Sunday school. Father, we pray for those who are sick and could not be here this morning, that you be with them and strengthen them and heal them and bring them back into your house of worship here. Father, we, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for the people you've put in our lives to comfort us and strengthen us, to build us, to encourage us through this life. And Father, we thank you for all your many gifts to us by your grace. Not that we deserve them, but you give, Father, out of your love. Thank you, Lord, for the ones who will be here today. And Lord, we ask your power upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen.